Well, in preparation for this, I did a little bit of research about how long people, you know, stick at things, uh, resolutions and things like that. It's just still sort of the start of the year, so we're still all kind of thinking about our New Year's resolutions and stuff like that. And according to the, Greek, the Great Green Wall Health website, the average length of commitment to a diet uh, is four weeks for women and six weeks for men. And then we just tend to kind of lose commitment. We cut corners and make a few small exceptions. And then before we know it, we're just smashing down a family feast from KFC and sneaking across the road to McDonald's to get you know, a McFlurry or something for dessert. Well, that's been my experience of my dietary attempts, but I think that's what happens. And then also, did you know that today is the 4th of February? We are 35 days into 2024. You know what that means? Only 325 days to Christmas. Yeah. But according to Forbes Health, by now around 10% of all New Year's Eve uh, resolutions have failed. They've just, just fallen in a heap. And only 47% of Easter will, people will still be going in their New Year's resolutions by Easter. And barely 6% of us will actually uh, stick at that resolution. So it becomes a changed behavior in our lives. As Christians, one of the things that we tend to recommit ourselves to at the start of the year is our uh, daily quiet time, our Bible reading plans, which if you've got a Bible reading plan like mine, you're probably starting to get towards the end of Genesis by now. And in March, we'll see you through Exodus. And then by April, you know, Easter time, uh, you'll be in Leviticus and laws, laws, and more laws. And then there's a couple of groovy little feasts at the end. And then Another law. But you kind of, you know, find that you get distractions and something pops up and it's a grind and we've missed a day here and we find that catching up becomes just nearly impossible because it's just got too big on us. Now, quick tip. This is not in the sermon. This is for free. Uh, progress, not perfection when it comes to our Bible reading plans if you're in one. Don't stress. Don't try and catch up. Just plug back in and keep rolling in that plan. But the plain reality is, for all our desire and for all our aspiration, um, we often lack the, the discipline, the, the, des the desire to, to work against the drift, the pull, uh, back towards established and experienced and familiar patterns of life and behavior, even if they are identified as being unwanted, even if we think they're harmful and destructive, we, we tend to just gravitate back. We are by nature drifters. That's why social media is so um, successful, so popular. The internet is so good at robbing us of time. It's the perfect environment just to drift off and get lost in whatever little rabbit hole uh, your heart feels like pursuing. Now, occasionally that's productive, but I'd venture that it's mostly unproductive uh, when you lose 15 hours of your day to some YouTube person. When it comes to our spiritual lives and their health, the reality is the drift of the human heart is not towards God, but rather it is away from God. The constant uh, direction and pull of, of culture pulls humanity away from God, towards self-reliance, towards self-sufficiency, towards our own sense of, of autonomy. The current of progression 
um, flows towards self-expression and the right to self-determine and the tide is very strong. The pull is strong. Even for Christians whose hearts and whose motives have been transformed by the the work of Christ on the cross and the enabling of the Holy Spirit cannot afford just to kind of sit in the current. The gospel, the work of the cross in our lives is not some kind of magical um, anchor. It's not meant to be static or passive that just kind of goes down into the middle of the current and holds you there in a fixed place. It is, as Paul writes in Philippians, an active, a new active motivator, a grace-experienced motivator that enables us to now live with intentional progress against this drift through a grace-empowered straining towards God. We looked at that at the start of last year when we went through uh, Philippians. We saw that faith and salvation were both a free gift, but they're also this ongoing work of transformation in which we cooperate with the Holy Spirit to actively replace sinful practices and behaviors and motives with godly ones, with godly disciplines and godly practices. And these things, these new replacement ones, they're often... uh, in contrast uh, and, and out of step with the ones of an ungodly culture. Did you know that most resolutions, most works of transformation work better when they are based in a new activity, not just avoidance of the old? It's part of the reason why most resolutions fail. They are merely just uh, self-willed, avoidance-based resolutions. So it makes sense that the Christian life is not merely about avoiding sin. It is about replacing sin with grace. Replacing sin with a better, more satisfying relationship found in Jesus. Jesus is better than anything that we would tend to drift towards. Don Carson writes, People do not just drift towards holiness. Apart from a grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate, gravitate towards godliness, prayer, obedience to scripture, faith and delight in the Lord. No, we drift towards compromise and we call it tolerance. We drift towards disobedience and we call it freedom. We drift towards superstition and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slouch towards prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we have escaped legalism. And we slide towards godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. The drift. The hard work of drift-resisting faith is not the opposite to grace. It is the result of experiencing grace. It is the result of pursuing God with a new resolution and a new commitment each and every day to get up and to fight against the drift. King David, who is the author of our psalm this morning, a man that the Bible describes as after God's own heart. Now, that doesn't mean he was awesome. What it means is that he realized he wasn't, that he needed God. He also knew the pull of the drift and how unless 
you approach each day with a recognition of your need for God, need for repentance, need for forgiveness, the intentional practicing of spiritual disciplines, you can wake up and find yourself in the wrong bed. And I'm pretty sure if we were to sit down with each other and have an open conversation about our faith, which is what we do at Men's Breakfast, our maturing in Christ, how all that is going, we'd say things like, yeah, I'm, kind of, I'm doing over, okay over here, but over here I'm struggling. I'm just a mess, I'm all jacked up, and I need to work hard here in this area. We would discover that we all feel the drift, that, that we all feel the pull away from godly lives. So let's take a look at this psalm and see if we can glean some of the principles from it that will help us fight the drift. The psalmist begins by expressing his heart's desire to live with dependency and integrity before God. In prayer, in relationship, the description of prayer here, of prayer and of incense, the lifting up of hands, the evening sacrifice, paints a picture not only of integrity before God as an individual, but it's also integrity before God in this corporate setting. This setting of worship is being described here. He's describing a church. It's a desire, though, that recognizes that this is dependent on God's enabling. I call to you, Lord, come quickly to me. Hear me when I call to you. Our fight against the drift begins with recognizing our need and our dependence on God and not our own capabilities. Our need to be in community, living out our lives before other believers and not in Isolation, prayer is the context here, and the prayer, both private and corporate, is essentially this recognition. We come before God in humble submission and recognition that we need his grace to continue in relationship with him. The psalmist comes regularly and constantly, not responsively. Prayer is his defense. Prayer is this regular activity. It's not his regretful response to life. Prayer rather acts like a GPS in the current of the environments and the circumstances that he finds himself in, that we find ourselves in, and it keeps us orientated towards God in relationship and dependency with God. And as Di said, and we're starting back on our Monday night prayers, on Monday night where we just gather whoever, you know, open to everyone, uh, just come in, and that is us gathering and saying individually and saying corporately that we live in dependency on God and we call out to him and we ask him to come towards us. For us, God has done much to encourage us in prayer. The writer of Hebrews captures this when he talks about how Jesus, how in Jesus we can approach a holy God and his throne of grace boldly, that we might find grace to help us in a time of need. For the psalmist, his prayers are accompanied by sacrifices and offerings as he confesses to God his need. And there's this picture of incense that rises up and the incense kind of uh, creates this cloud and, and the imagery is of this space and this protective barrier between a holy God and, and, and the psalmist so that sinful people can approach God appropriately and safely. But for us, Jesus is our sacrifice. His name is the means, the, the, the incense, if you like, through which we approach God for our needs and our offerings. 
prayer in his name, all that he has done for us, all that he is to us. He's one of the fibers and the cables that winches us back against the drift. Recognition of our need and our dependence of God reflected in prayerful um, persistency, in, in, in prayerful persistency both privately and publicly is one of the ways in which the psalmist is saying this is how we fight against the drift. The psalmist is not foolish. He recognizes that the pool of culture is tempting, assimilating into its practices and priorities, evil though they are, are pulling us towards worship rather than towards God. It's suggested it brings a life of privilege and acceptance that is tempting and enticing. Even though he knows this is not good, it's tempting, it's enticing. But nobody enjoys marginalization, do they? It's why we gather. It's, it's why this is one of the only uh, environments that you are going to come into and actually be encouraged in your Christian faith. So staying away is a, a bad idea coming together should be strengthening and uplifting. Again, the psalmist fortifies himself by seeking God in prayer. The psalmist is intentional in recognizing his own weakness and susceptibility to be drawn or to drift into the same behavior as the culture around him. Honesty and openness about our struggles is also where we fight the drift. Hiding your struggles, hiding your sin is not the approach. The pull of the social current that offers an affluent and comfortable life by participating in a lifestyle that rejects God's design, it celebrates humanity's self-expression and worship that is devoid of God is pervasive, is enticing in the psalmist day and age. And we live in and we feel the same kind of cultural environment. The psalmist uses imagery of eating their delicacies to portray the attractiveness and the acceptance on offer. The enticement is real and strong. It takes intentionality of relationship with God. It takes intentionality of, of gathering together to live a life of contrasting faith. The drift towards a godless culture is real and not passive. The psalmist is saying here you don't play with sin. It's not a, a puppy that you get to keep and master. Rather, sin will master you. Replace its influence with the presence and activity of God over your life. Beginning with how our speech shapes and defines the relationships and environments in which we operate in. And how those environments or influence, influential people shape our hearts. Instead the psalmist seeks God's speech and his influence over his words and the motives of his heart. The psalmist recognizes too that avoidance is only half the battle as he doubles down on inviting um, godly relationships and influences into his life. As much as he needs to avoid the counsel and the influence of evil people and their practices in, in shaping his life, he needs to invite in the input of discipleship of godly people. It's kind of a no-brainer, really, isn't it? 
The Christian life is deeply personal, but it is never done well in isolation. Faith is personal, but not a private matter. It's a corporate one. One of the best ways to fight against the drift is to have somebody helping you row your boat. And not someone who's just going to pat you on the back and tell you how wonderful you are and, you know, you're doing well, you do you, keep, keep towing away. But someone who cares enough to spot the drift in your spiritual life and address it with you. You need a wider community of the church, not only to help you understand yourself, but also to help you understand and enjoy God more. The idea that you have all the answers, that you have all the strength, that you have all the wisdom is just foolishness that leads to the drift of discontent and disappointment. The words of the psalmist in verses 6 and 7 ramp up. They are a very strong calling for God's justice against sin, to be a catalyst for the wicked to reform their ways and seek God's grace and not his judgment. Like This is a, a warning to people to say, if you, if you practice an evil life, destruction is coming the language is actually that of a curse a strong denouncing of sinful living whose ends deserve death for us kind of politically correct sensitive souls this is strong language and it's a bit makes us feel a bit uncomfortable however there is a principle here that will help fight against the drift and that principle is the hatred of sin going to war against it in our lives Strong though his language is, the heart of the psalmist is in line with the heart of God. Sin is, is not just to be disapproved of, it is to be hated. It is sin that has brought all manner of decreation into the world. It is sin that has kindled and brought the wrath of God into play. Sin is essentially not loving God as he should be. Not living as he has made us to live. Sin is disordered loves and relationships that de-God God and elevate self. God's wrath towards sin is not evaporated by him thinking nice thoughts about sinful people or overlooking their rebellion. As Andy has pointed out this morning, God chose to pour his wrath out on his son so that his justice could be satisfied without the destruction of us so that his love and his grace could be an experience that replaces it and brings us deep satisfaction and becomes one of the means in which we fight the drift. Until we hate sin and see Jesus as most precious, most satisfying, we will drift again and again and again. Jesus is the work of grace that we need in our lives. And finally, the psalmist states where faith is fastened, where faith is secured against all that rages around us, even in the midst of unthinkable adversity, by fixing our eyes on the Lord and taking refuge in his provision. His prayer is for God to keep him faithful, that he would not drift off into self-destructive patterns of culture around him but rather that he would walk 
safely. That is to walk faithfully, to walk within the bounds of what God has uh, described and prescribed for life. Enjoying God's presence, enjoying his refuge, his provision of strength by always fixing his eyes on God. It is a relational anchor. The Lord is David's strength and rock, fortress, deliverer, salvation and stronghold. It is in God that David finds a place of security and acceptance, not in the culture of uh, self-made fortresses that he sees around him. Things like, you know, how we make a good name for ourselves, our reputation and impressive uh, career or being impressive at your career, having the, the best home, you know, the best family, the best car, whatever sporting achievements you want to rack up. Now, these things are all good, but they are not ultimate. They make poor saviors and unreliable anchors against the drift. It is the relational provision of God that David turns to fight against the drift. The writer of Hebrews in chapter 12 who is writing from the vantage point of God's greatest provision, Jesus, encourages believers who themselves, in the whole book of Hebrews, is, is this church that is fighting against the drift, and we're going to be getting into that, to untangle themselves from the various things that pull them away from God and hinders their progress in maturing in their faith, to hate sin and its capacity to, to just to weave its way into our lives. And to in all things fix our eyes on Jesus, who is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Jesus is the one who brings to completion all that David aspired to. Jesus is the one who against all injustice and temptation and suffering sought shelter in God's goodness. Jesus is the ultimate example of fighting against the drift. And he stands now as our great anchor in life. The one who not only demonstrated faith, but becomes the means through which faith is possible by dealing with the source of the drift, sin itself. Jesus' struggle and victory over sin becomes our greatest encouragement as we get to work on our own spiritual lives. The psalmist has given us some great strategies on how to keep any resolutions or convictions that we may make with respect to growing and maturing in our faith, with respect to fighting against the drift away from a flourishing spiritual life. Persistence in prayer, that is a rhythm, that is regular, confession, repentance, forgiveness, acknowledgement of God, our need of God, the removal and replacement uh, of the influence of sin, indeed the hatred of its presence in our lives, the seeking of counsel of godly people in our lives that care for our spiritual well-being, discipline and discipleship are not things that we should avoid. The seeking of refuge in God's provision and strength is an anchor point for our lives. Ultimately, all that the psalmist has envisaged on how life is lived against the drift was manifest in Jesus. So as we crack into 2024, let's be intentional about doing the hard work of the Christian life. This kind of work is not the opposite of grace. It's the response to grace. It's a life that recognizes that Jesus is God's better, 
alternative life story to the life of the drift. Let's pray. Loving God, again we come before you. We thank you uh, for these psalms that come and they enrich our hearts and our minds. And this morning as we think about how easy it is just to be to, to, to drift away, how, how easy it is to let our practice of relationship with you be kind of overrun with all kinds of other distractions and interruptions and needs and demands. As we get into 2024, would we be people who are intentional about our fight against the drift? That we would make the effort to, to be in prayer with you both privately and corporately. Uh, that we'd be making the effort to, to uh, fight against sin, to have people around us that help us with this. And that we'd be intentional about seeking you as our great provision and comfort and rock in life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.